0: So when I was looking at this passage that we are going to be going to be looking at today, I chose to call this message "Walk It Off," um, and uh, I'll tell you why. It'll it'll be pretty self-evident as we go along, but I I I knew I'd heard that phrase before, and I figured it had to have some significance. So I Googled it, and when I Googled it, this is what came up: um, exercise on foot in order to undo the effects of a heavy metal. Now, there's parts of that definition I like. Right? And you're going to see as we go along today which parts, it's the heavy metal part that I couldn't quite figure out. I'm not sure if that's like music, right? Or is it lead poisoning? Um, it, could be, it could be anything. Um, but I like the, the picture of what it says here about exercise on foot in order to undo the effects of something. And you'll see that that's going to be a thread as we go through our message today. This section that we're going to be reading in Ephesians is really where we, we start to get into the whole idea of Christian ethics. How should Christians conduct themselves? How should Christians behave? And so I wanted to kind of um, just do a little bit of a demonstration here as we, we get into what, what it means to walk it off. Uh, the reason I chose that, is because the word peripateo in Greek means to walk. And it's a word that Paul uses frequently when he describes how we are to live. In Ephesians chapter four and verse one, which we've already looked at and studied, he says, walk a life that is worthy of the calling you've received in Jesus Christ. And he uses the word peripateo. Uh, And here, as we begin in this section, in in chapter four, verse 17, he says, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And again, it's peripateo, and we'll see that word will come up several times as we go through, and it's an interesting word because it has a lot of rich meaning to it. Because to walk, or peripateo, it it implies an intentionality, a sense of direction, and a habitual uh, practice. And so when we walk, According to peripateo, we are doing something intentionally. We are going with a certain sense of direction, and we are doing it habitually. It is how we live our life. It is how we live our life, and that is what the word peripateo means. And that's what we're going to unpack today. So let's get into it. Let's get right into the text. You can see it if you have your Bibles. You can open them up. Ephesians chapter four. We're doing verses 17 through 32 today. Uh, And we'll read through it and I'll make some comments as we go along and then we'll kind of uh, talk together about what these uh, passages are, are saying to us and how we can apply them in our lives. So in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 it says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the nations walk in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Wow, that's dark. That's, that's pretty dark when we look at that. And there, in all of this passage, as in so much of what Paul writes, there is so much packed in here. We could have multiple sermons just on these verses alone, let alone what we're going to be covering today. There's just so much that Paul is saying. Every word is chalk filled with meaning. But the core of what he's trying to say here is that, is that as Christ followers, as Christians, we're, we are no longer to walk as the nations walk. Those who don't know Christ, those who are not following Jesus Christ because they don't know any better because quite frankly, their lives are filled with nothing. They are morally and intellectually void. The futility of their thinking means that there's nothing there. There's no substance there. It's just a vacuum. Because they're separated from God. They're separated from the source of life. They have no life. And so because they have, at the very core of their being, a vacuum, they fill it with all kinds of garbage. Because that's all they know how to do. And so they give themselves over to things that are reprehensible. Because that's the only way they know how to give their dead sense of living any kind of stimulation. That's the picture that he's painting for them. They're morally and intellectually empty. And so they live their lives out of that place. They're separated from the source of life. Then he goes on, you, however, in verse 20, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught of him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And once again, there is just an abundance of truth and and encouragement that Paul has packed in to these verses. In these two verses, or these few verses, he basically assumes your basic discipleship. And he defines discipleship as transformation. That ultimately, that's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. It is to be transformed. And he says, for those of us who know Christ, who have learned Christ, who have been united with Christ, we, we no longer live as the Gentiles do. No, we've been taught to live another way. And he has this wonderful imagery of the old self and the new self, off with the old and on with the new. That's what trans- transformation is, off with the old and on with the new. But there's something hidden in here that doesn't come through in the English that is, is loud and clear in the original language, and it's his use of the verbs in the original Greek. Because what he says here is the tense that he uses, he changes the tense, and he basically says, old self, new self, and in new self, that is a fait accompli. He uses the aorist tense, which refers to an event that God has done that has ongoing, continuing a- uh, um, impact. It's a past event with ongoing, continuing impact. When you are born again, you are a new creation. You are a new self. You are a child of God. You're not becoming one, you are one. God has done that. You were an old self. Now you are a new self. And that is an event that happens in a moment of time. And once it's done, it cannot be undone. You can't be unborn. But he uses the, the present tense to talk about the old self being corrupted, and the new self being renewed. That's an ongoing, continuous action. If we're the old person, if we're the old self, the old self is on the path to destruction and is continually being, you know, continuing to be corrupted and continually getting worse and worse and worse, that's the picture that he paints. That's the life of the unbeliever. They're going nowhere fast and going downhill even faster, according to Paul. And because they're separated from God, because they don't have any sense of the, of the real source of life or their purpose or meaning, they don't even understand that or know that. They can't even see that. But the new self, the born from above self, the regenerate self, that person is being renewed. on. It's an ongoing process of that person being transformed and being renewed. we're not becoming the children of god we are the children of god but we're walking it out the reality of who we are in christ we're walking it out every day of our lives every moment of our lives we're we're taking another step and we're walking out the reality of who god has made us to be and who he's named us to be we're called we're chosen we're adopted We are made alive with Christ. We're raised with Christ. We're seated with Christ. All of these things that Paul has spent so much time telling us who we are. And he says now life is walking that out. No longer walking like an unbeliever, but now walking out in the newness of life that comes with being regenerated. I love the way the Expositors' Greek um, uh, commentary describes this because it, ta- it refers to the new self this way as being the holy form of human being the holy form of human being holy h-o-l-y the holy form of human being it's a restoration to who we are in the image of god it's who we were intended to be all along to be a holy form of human being and, and I, I, as I, I thought about that, I, I go back a number of years to when we started talking about, about being made for more. And we started looking at ourselves as believers and saying, we're not just called to, to be, you know, kind of believers, we're called to be followers. Surely there must be more. We're made for more. And we began to say those things to one another and explore and ask God, what is the more? And we, we came to understand that the more means that we are to be spirit-born and spirit-led as God's people. And we began to explore that and get into that. And that's because, as Paul uses this language, we are not intended to be merely human. We are intended to be wholly human. We are wholly human beings. If we are in Christ. And now we're meant to live that out. We're meant to walk it out. Let's keep going. In verse 25, Therefore, Now he gives some applications, some concrete examples of off with the old and on with the new. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down down uh, while you're still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. And he begins now to have this pattern of off with the old and on with the new. And he'll give several examples. He gives two here. One is our use of anger. There are times when it's right to be angry, but he says, but never let your anger get to the place where you still have it when you go to bed that night. Anger must always be tempered with mercy and grace and forgiveness. Always. And then he talks about a, you know a thief, a stealer, and he says here basically you know if, if, if you know in the old, the old person, you were a taker because it was all about you, you had nothing else, it was all about you, it was all about looking after myself. it was all about taking for myself, but now, in the new self it's about becoming a giver it's about becoming someone who has to share and is even willing to work so that they have more to share. So it's off with the old and on with the new. Let's keep going. In verse 29, he says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So here he talks about how we use our speech, how we use our language. Unwholesome communication. Don't be a critic. Don't be a cynic. Don't be someone who uses their language to tear people down. Instead, he says, in the new self, you use your language to encourage. You use your language to bless. It's off with the old and on with the new. And then he says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, as, as in Christ God forgave you. So here he says, you know, you can be a, you can be an angry old man if you want to be. That's an old person. That's an old self. You can be can, you can be cantankerous. You can be, you know, kind of abrasive. You can be rough. You can be all all kinds of, you know, uh, ready to kind of duke it out with anybody. Combative, argumentative. You can be all of that, but that's the old man. The new man over here is kind and compassionate. And so it's off with the old and on with the new. And because this is a letter that Paul has written, and it didn't come to the original you know, church in Ephesus in the form that you and I have in chap- broken down in chapter and verse, let's read on a little further. At the beginning of chapter 5, Paul says this, he says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Where is it all going? What is the rubric under which all of these behaviors, under which all of these examples? And he's going to go on in chapter 5 and give several more, but that's for the next time. But what is the rubric? What is he saying throughout all of it? You know, you know, walk worthy of the calling you've received. Live a life of love like Jesus who gave himself for us. That's the great commandment. Live a life of love. That's the rubric. That's the bullseye. That's the target. That's what all of this transformation is leading to. For you and I to live a life of love just like Jesus. That leads for us, leads us to give ourselves away in the same way that Jesus gave himself away. That's what it is to be fully alive, like Jesus. That's what it is to love like that. That's where Christian ethics take us. Let's sum this up for a little bit. What has he said? Well, he said that we're no longer to walk as if we are merely human. But now we are meant to walk out what it is to be wholly human. What is it to be wholly human? And then he gives these comparisons, and you can see them up on the screen. I won't repeat them. We've talked about them. But I want to say a few things about this as we kind of wrap this portion up. One is, do you know that you and I, we could, we could do everything perfectly, you know, to prevent ourselves from doing the things that are on the left-hand side of this screen? We could put all of our energies and efforts to make sure that we do not do anything that we're not supposed to do. And if you and I do that, guess what? Good for you, good for me, but we're halfway there. We're only halfway there. Because the call of transformation is not just to not do the things that the old man did. It's to do the things that the new man does. It's not enough to put off the old. The call is to put on the new. To put on the new. To become like Jesus. I mean it's pretty amazing when we think about it it's pretty amazing we're to live a life of love just just like jesus we're to live as as a different kind of human as a holy human now this paul is this is what he's saying in ephesians he says it throughout all of his letters to the churches and i think he puts it really really well in galatians What is the core of what he's talking about? And we're going to harken back in a second to what he said earlier in in Ephesians as well. But in Galatians 5.16, he says this. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. And you couldn't by any means succumb to the sinful cravings of the earthly nature. Walk by the Spirit. What's at the core of this? Remember how in Ephesians 4, he said, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. In this process of transformation, it is so much more than your and my willpower. In fact, your and my willpower is only a tiny part of what transformation requires. For you and I to really, truly walk out the new person that we are in Christ, we need the Holy Spirit to be doing that in us and through us. And we're told not to grieve the Holy Spirit. That word grieve, we... We just finished a program called Grief Share, and we started a new one. We all know what grief means. It means sadness. It means sorrow. It means pain. You see, it is the Holy Spirit's joy to transform you and me. It is his joy. It's what he wants to do. It's what he loves doing. It's what he is well able to do. But if you and I won't work with him, we grieve him. Because he'll never force himself on us. He'll never force change in our lives that we are not willing to embrace. We can grieve the spirit. We can frustrate the spirit. We can quench the spirit. We can lie to the spirit. These are all things that the scriptures say. Or we can walk by the Spirit. We can be led by the Spirit. We can invite and ask the Holy Spirit into our lives to be doing this work of transformation. It's the Spirit's joy to change us. You know, we know this. We know this. There's, there's, there are no truths here that I'm sharing that I think are a big surprise to anybody. In our pastors' meeting last Wednesday, um, we were talking just about, you know, kind of the state of the church in, in Durham region and a number of things. One of the pastors said this. He said, I, I, He said, I believe that the fundamental issue in the church today is that we don't know who we are. We don't know who we are. And I go a step further, because I think you know we've been talking about that for a long time. I think we, at least hopefully we at Forestbrook know who we are, but I think our problem is not that we don't know who we are, I think is we don't believe it. We don't believe it. We don't live out of that place. You know when we were learning and going through the whole process of made for more, and I really, you know, set my heart to seek God to to be to learn what it is to be led by the Spirit and to be, you know, to ask to be filled by the Spirit. I knew all of the things that that I was reading, but now I was reading in a whole new light because for for now I was believing it. I was saying I choose to believe it, God. And so when Paul spends four and a half chapters in his letter telling people first who they are before he ever gets to how they should live. Do we not think that that should be important? When he says you're called, you're chosen, you're adopted you are made alive with Christ. You are raised with Christ. You are seated with Christ. You are part of God's household, part of God's family. You are a child of God. You are a, a brother and a sister of Jesus Christ. Now walk like it. Now walk it out. Can you imagine how different we would be, and the church would be, if we actually believed that and did that? I'm starting to pray in my life, like like I believe that's true. And I think that is having an effect in my life. And I think it's changing the way I live my life. And I so want that for this church and all of God's church. Why? Because it's who we are, and we've listened to the devil long enough, and the world needs the church. And you and I sit here all bound up with mythical chains because there are no more chains if you are in Christ. You are called, chosen, and adopted as a holy human. You have the Holy Spirit in you to both inspire you and empower you to walk that out. The question is, do you believe it? I invite the worship team to come back up. Rob, if you could bring up the communion slides, please. We're going to be doing communion in stations today, and I just wanted to set the stage to give us something to think about as we uh, come forward uh, or go to the back to take of the bread and of the cup. And I want to start off by revisiting that Google definition of what it is to walk it off and see if it makes a little more sense to us now. Exercise on foot in order to undo the effects of heavy metal. Walking off the chains. The chains that Jesus has already broken for us and set us free from, yet we, through unbelief, remain attached to. So walking it off means walking in faith. Walking out the reality of freedom in Jesus Christ. Walking off the reality of those chains having been broken by Jesus and living by freedom. I wrestled with God today about who who in our congregation this message was for. Obviously, it's for for all of us. Um, And I was trying to think, you know, there there are some of us who who we so desperately need to live in belief of being free because we are still tormented and lied to by the devil and made to think that we're not who we are. And my heart goes out for you because I know that the Holy Spirit grieves for you and wants you to, to know the freedom you have and wants you to live in that freedom. But I also know that there's some of us here who, who we, we have this walk down pat. We look really good on the outside. You know, we, we, we present ourselves to, to our world and to our church and even to ourselves as having it all together. I guess the Holy Spirit's done with us. You know I'm speaking like a fool. If the goal is to become like Jesus and live a life like Jesus and sacrifice ourselves like Jesus, who here among us can stand with him? Yet, I can't there is still work to be done in me. There is still transformation to be done in me. And I have been surrendering to the Holy Spirit. I have asked and invited the Holy Spirit to to start that work in me all over again, to fire it up, to ignite it. I've gotten off of the bench. I've gotten out of the comfortable pew. And I've thrown myself back into the arena of the kingdom of God. And I've said, Holy Spirit, I don't even know some things I do. But I give you permission to complete your joy in me. And you know, some of the first things he did in my life were not pleasant. Old habits, you know, sinful things that i had been holding on to and been comfortable with. He said, oh no, Kev, those... Let's start there. Those have to go. Do you know that this is so ultimately practical that when we get into chapter five, Paul starts talking about marriage and parenting and how we live with one another in our workplaces and in our world. This is so ultimately practical. You and I are to be like Jesus, living like Jesus, fully alive like Jesus in every single relationship, and every single dimension of our life. Are you there yet? I'm not. So there's work to do. There's transformation to take place. I'm calling you to transformation. I'm calling us to transformation. I'm calling us to give the Holy Spirit permission and room in our life to begin the change. To complete his joy in you and in me. Exercise on foot in order to undo the effects of a heavy metal. One of my readings this week was Psalm 53, and in Psalm 53 I was reading, you know, sadly, you know, Yahweh was saying that his people were suffering, but no one would call out to him. They were merely enduring the suffering, waiting for God to do something, but they wouldn't call out to him. And then on Friday I was reading in Psalm 107, and it's a completely different picture. And I wanted to share this passage from Psalm 107 in order to seed our preparation for coming to the table. It says this, some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains, for they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High, so he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men, for he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. There's no chain that Jesus hasn't broken. How's the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? Where are you? Is he peeking your heart? Is he, is he poking you? Is he saying, hey, what about this? What about that? Or is there something that we're laboring under, some, some chain that we feel that we're still held by, that he's, he's trying to say, surrender it. By faith, give it up. Believe that I have set you free and start living in that freedom. This is what I'd like us to think about as we come to the table. The blood and body of Jesus Christ has won our freedom from every chain. So as you come, what are you asking the Holy Spirit to do in your life that he can do because of the cross of Jesus? All we have to do is ask and be willing to receive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for him for everything. He is our Lord. He is our King. He is our Savior. He is our elder brother. He is our God. And his love was so great for each and every one of us, indeed for all of us, that he willingly went to the cross and gave both his body and his life so that we could be redeemed. And we come now being redeemed. And we come to remember that it is his blood, his body, that gives us that freedom. And we ask and invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and through this act of communion, to speak to our hearts and our minds and and encourage us again to get on with the transformation of walking out the freedom that has been won for us by Jesus. We ask your blessing upon the bread and on the cup. Meet us here and enable us to see you and, and experience by faith what we know in our minds to be true as we take of this communion. We thank you for your faithfulness. We walk in newness because of you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please help yourself to the stations.